Hey, good morning, friends, and happy Sunday to you. In our current series, we have been talking about in the meantime, and this has meant a couple of things for us. One is how do Christians live between finding Jesus and making him the foundation of our life and the world to come? What is all of the rest of this life about? And also, while we're in the middle of quarantine in this pandemic, what can we do constructively so that God is forming us to the image of his son Jesus, like he says he is promised to do. Romans 8:29 talks about how we have been elected so that we will be conformed to the likeness of his son. How is God going to do this? What ways are you becoming more like Christ in your words and your actions? How are we telling his story to our friends, our community, and to our family at home? So in the first week, we talked about life is not canceled. God has a plan to redeem all of his creation so that in the new heavens and the new earth, this world and what was done in it is not wasted. And he also has a plan to redeem the smallest and most individual parts of his creation, like you and me, so that as individuals, our hope of redemption and salvation and transformation is in God. And then we talked the next week about focusing on the fundamentals, which is the gospel of Jesus. Everything he said and everything he did is the gospel. This is what made Jesus king. It's his abundant life. It's especially his death and his burial and his resurrection, his ascension to the right hand of God, where he is in authority of all things. These are what we call the critical contours of the gospel. But all of the gospel about Jesus in the four gospels and the other gospel summary statements in the New Testament, these are the foundation of our life and our hope and our witness. And last week we talked about telling the story. When it is time for us to share the fundamentals about Jesus with someone else, we are encouraged because we're on a team. We're not doing this by ourselves. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are on our team, so we're on a winning team. And we get to use the gifts that God has given us and be ourselves as we tell the story. We don't have to be anyone else. Paul said that he planted the seed with the Corinthians. That's a metaphor to say that he taught them the gospel. But Apollos came and he watered the seed. In other words, he continued to encourage them. He was probably discipling them. But it was God that gave the increase. So we're on God's team. We do our part. And God is not going to allow this project to fail. So today we want to talk about doing the cardio. That is the heart work. We are people of minds, a head, and an emotional minds, a heart, and bodies, our hands. So head, hands, and heart. We're composite beings. And the, there's two ways we could take do the cardio. And the one that is our message today is a metaphor for how do we do emotional work inside of ourselves? How do we grow emotionally, become more emotionally intelligent? How do our hearts learn to grow up to be like Jesus? We're going to talk about that in a minute. But you could think about doing the cardio uh, in a very literal sense. And this would probably be a good place to start today, too. After all, we're at home more. We're on the couch. We're officing from home. We're not allowed to get out and do all the things we usually like to do. So let me encourage you to literally do cardio. Because we are people of, uh, of bodies and of minds that are composite like that, 
What we do in our body affects our emotional well-being. It affects our rational mind. So often when we snap at someone or react in a way that's negative that we don't want to, we can look back and see that we've been eating poorly, sleeping poorly, not getting exercise, not caring for ourselves. So let's get out there. Walk a little bit. Maybe with your small group or someone else that you're in a discipling relationship with through the church, get out and go on a socially distanced walk of some kind or a jog or a bike ride. Even if we can't be together, uh, 800 strong at church on Sunday morning, where two or three are gathered, Jesus has promised to be with us. That is no less a spiritual experience, especially if you're doing it to edify the church. That means to build up and strengthen the body. So let's literally do the cardio and get out and take care of our bodies. Let's not forget that while we're stuck in quarantine. But today I want to talk about, most importantly, our emotional well-being. How do we do the cardio so that we are becoming mature in our emotions like Jesus? So that instead of reacting negatively, we learn to respond in positive ways. I'm going to be reading today from 1 Peter chapters 3 and 4. That's our main text, and there's quite a few verses. I would encourage you to open up your Bible or the Bible app on your phone to follow along. There are some words and promises in this reading today that you're going to want to record. You're not going to want to let these slip out of your mind because we all know uh, what we're headed towards here is cast your anxieties on God. We all know we should do that. We probably all want to cast our anxieties on God. The question is, how do we do it? How do we become emotionally uh, at a place where we learn to give our anxieties to God? And we're going to talk about a few strategies for emotional growth today. So you're going to want your pen and a notebook or your Bible as we move through this together. Let me read to open this up from 1 Peter chapter 3, and I'm going to start in verse 8. Finally, all of you be like-minded, sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate, and humble. Peter is writing to Christians in the first century that were scattered and that were frustrated and that were feeling pressured. They were troubled. Theirs might have been more a persecution where ours is disease and pandemic, but they're in a similar situation, scattered and frustrated, hurting. And Peter reminds them to do the cardio work. Be like-minded, sympathetic, love each other, be compassionate, be humble. These are all words of a healthy heart response. Jesus said that what makes us pure uh, is not what goes into the mouth and into a man, but what comes out, because what comes out of a man comes from what he's stored up in his heart. So here Peter is reminding us that we need these good things like love and compassion coming out. Uh, these are important for our witness. The most important part of telling the story is that the story we tell is Jesus. But maybe the second most important part of witnessing is our heart doing the cardio. Because there are big witness crushers if we don't do this work. And I want to point a couple of them out. One of them is pride. One of them is vengeance. One of them is fear. We're going to spend a couple minutes on fear. These are witness crushers. You try to tell the story to your coworkers, but you're known as a vengeful person, a prideful person. You're constantly 
owned by fear, you're in slavery to fear, it cripples your witness. You try to tell your children to trust in the Lord. You want them to participate in the worship of the church. You want them to obey Jesus, but you're constantly crippled by fear, anxiety, conspiracies in life. These things own your life and your attention. Your witness is crippled. Look at how this happens in these verses. Verse 9, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. This is vengeance that comes from pride. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Peter warns us to watch out for witness crushers like pride and vengeance, and instead to be people who repay evil with good, with blessing. Now, right now, the evil being done to us through the virus and the pandemic and the quarantine does not have human agency. There's not a person doing evil to you. But when evil is done to you, even though it's not from a person, we often have a response, or I should say a reaction, where we react poorly to other people. So this is not a person oppressing us, and yet we often react to other people negatively. Peter warns us against this. He wants us to respond as a blessing so that everyone that we meet is blessed by being around us. This helps our witness. When people think of us fondly, when our family want to be in the same room with us, when our coworkers want to be on our team, when our neighbors hope that we walk past their driveway so that we can chat for a minute because we are a pleasure to be around, it helps our witness. This is what Peter is saying. And he uses this great word in verse 9. Mark this word so that you may inherit a blessing. Mark the word blessing. Peter uses the word in Greek, eulogia, which is where we get our English word eulogy, which is the word of blessing that is spoken about a person at the end of their life. In the meantime, we are writing our story with God. We want it to be based on the story of Jesus and of the redemption of God's creation. We want it to be focused on the fundamentals of Jesus' story and told uh, as part of his teammates and his team members to people at the right time. We want to drip this good news into their lives. We're not flooding them out, but we're dripping it into their lives. We want to be people, in the meantime, writing a eulogy, a blessing. And so Peter chooses this word. He says, if we would do this cardio work, if we would work on our hearts, we would become a blessing we would have something good that could be said about us now and at the end of our life. And then he quotes from some scripture. This would be just a great reminder about creating a life of blessing, about being a blessing in life. Peter says, whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil, do good, seek peace and pursue it, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. This is all about becoming a person of blessing, becoming a person of hope. This is miracle grow for witness. Being a person of blessing and hope is miracle grow for telling the story. So Peter in verses 13, 14, and 15 is going to encourage us here to be people who focus on hope. And I want you to mark words in this passage that have to do with these positive responses that come from a hopeful heart. Words like hope, gentleness, respect, clear conscience, good behavior. I want you to look for these words. And let's look look for the witness crusher 
of fear, and let's look for the witness miracle grow of hope. Peter asks, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Now mark this second word, blessed. This is in verse 14. This time when Peter chooses a word from Greek for the word blessed, he chooses a different word, makarios. Makarios is a Greek word that means supremely happy. It means blessed. It means fulfilled. It means full of happiness. This is the word, makarios, that Jesus used when he gave us the Beatitudes. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, they'll be called sons of God. Blessed are the meek. Um, Jesus uses the word makarios, happy, full, full of abundant life, are the poor in spirit. So Jesus seems to be saying that blessing lies in these attitudes and circumstances in spite of trial. You don't have to be a person whose life always looks like it's blessed to be a Makarios person. Peter, right here, speaking to people who are living through suffering, whose lives do not look blessed, says, but you can be. You can be Makarios blessed people so that when you're suffering, if you're doing what's right, you can be full of supreme happiness. Do not fear their threats and do not be frightened. Peter knows that fear would crush the blessing. Fear is a witness crusher. It is a hope crusher. He says, do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. Now, when he says this, Peter's quoting from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 8, verse 12. Isaiah had reminded the Israelites, God's people, to not be focused on fear. In fact, he said it like this. He said, do not call conspiracy everything this people calls conspiracy. Isaiah knows that fear leads to reacting negatively. Peter knows that fear leads to reacting negatively. Fear is going to cripple our cardio response and cause us to react in negative ways. Do not call conspiracy everything this people calls conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. That's Isaiah to the Israelites. Peter quotes that verse to say to Christians scattered and suffering, don't let fear rule in your hearts. Fear will cause us to, to see conspiracies under every rock and behind every leaf. When we're living in fear of conspiracies, we are not able to respond to people with the hope that we want to. Fear will cause us to be anxious about things in the present and the future. When we are bound and enslaved by anxieties, we cannot respond to people with the hope and love that we want to. Our hearts get wrapped in the chains of conspiracy theories and of anxieties. And Peter doesn't want this for us. Jesus wouldn't want this for us. Jesus came to set us free from the fear of death, to set us free from fears and anxieties. So how is Peter going to help us with this? Do not fear, do not be frightened. Instead, in our hearts, revere Christ as Lord. And so this is where he's going to use all these positive word responses. These are the kind of cardio heart responses that we want to have. Revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. Do you see how this is miracle growth for telling the story? If our hearts are in the wrong place, 
our witness is crushed. If our hearts are constantly frightened, we can't show Jesus to our children, to our spouses, to our coworkers, and to our neighbors because we're bound and enslaved by fears and anxieties. But if we revere Christ as Lord, we begin to experience the freedom that allows us to answer out of hope. Someone asks about the hope that we have in us, and we can answer based on Jesus Christ. Do this with gentleness and respect. See, those are, those are heart words. Gentleness is a response of the heart. Respect is a response of the heart. Keep a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. All of this is about a heart response. How do we witness, tell the story to family, friends, and the world? Well, first, it's centered on the fundamentals of Jesus. But second, our hearts have to become free. Our hearts have to grow emotionally, grow more emotionally intelligent, and become free of pride and revenge and fear. Okay, now let's look at two strategies that Peter gives us. Very simple strategies to help set our hearts free so that we can be hopeful witnesses. And then I've got one resource for you that I hope you'll look up and use that will help you as you do the cardio at home. So two responses, one resource, and then we'll be done this morning. Peter wants us to have hope, but he knows that hope that's founded on anything but Jesus is vain hope. So he's going to remind us again of the fundamentals of Jesus, the gospel fundamentals. I keep returning to this, but this is because this is what we have to talk about. There is no blessing in Christianity if it is not a blessing founded on the story of Jesus. That is the source and resource of all blessing and all hope and all good behavior and all clear conscience and all gentleness and all respect. So Peter, in verses 17 through 22, is going to name things about Jesus' story, critical contours of his story. Let me point out a few of them. Verse 18, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Talking about his passion and his crucifixion. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Talking about his death and resurrection. Then Peter talks about a great mystery. And I won't read all of it to you right now, but he says that some way, somehow, Jesus then went and preached to spirits that were imprisoned from the time of Noah. Now, I really don't know everything about what this means. No one does. It is a mystery to us. How did Jesus go back and preach? What did he preach? What was the result of his preaching? There are theories and books written about this, and it would take far too much time for us to talk about it today. Suffice it to say this. Peter is going to tell that part of the story to make this point. Noah, in his day, was saved, along with his family members, through water. Water was this oppressive agent. It was what they were suffering. It was a flood. It was an inundation. Right now, we might feel flooded by virus in the news, by pandemic in the news. It is like we are being swamped with this stuff. Being in quarantine on a boat is a pretty bad quarantine, you guys. We think we've got it bad with Netflix. All they had to do was feed and, and scoop poop out of animal pens and talk to each other and maybe try to invent uh, dominoes or playing cards for the first time, stuck on a boat for over a year. This is a bad quarantine. They were in it deep, 
Fellas, listen, they were in it bad. And Peter says, for them, what they went through as they passed through water is like what happens to us in baptism. Water now symbolizes baptism that saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. What is Peter saying? That when we experience the baptism that Jesus gives, his death and his resurrection are what we tell in the story. Our hope, in other words, is always centered and grounded on what Jesus did, not on anything we could do. In the very next verse, he says, uh, it saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Did you hear that? Th this core contour of the story of Jesus is his resurrection. He talks about Noah and he talks about baptism, about death and suffering and quarantine and burial in the grave. All of this story is centered on the hope of Jesus's resurrection. What he did saves us. And then he went to the right hand of God. Peter says he's in heaven at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. For Peter, all of our hope, the hope we express through acts of worship like baptism, through acts of worship like communion where we remember his, his death, his body, his blood, through acts of worship of singing and prayers of scripture reading, the story that we tell is always the story of Jesus. This is the first of the two ways that we ground our hope and our hearts in the hope of Jesus. Now here's the second way. Peter talks about giving God our anxiety. In 1 Peter chapter 4, it's just across the page, he's going to say, cast all your anxiety on him, on God, in verse 7. And this is something we all want to do, but how can we do it? Peter gives us a strategy, cast our anxiety on God. But do you do this? Do you try to do this? Do you get frustrated when this doesn't work? Because I do. So often I feel like throwing my anxiety at the foot of the cross, it gets bounced back and returned to me like a rubber ball off of a brick wall. I feel like my prayers are often more boomerangs than they are frisbees. And I want this prayer to get to God and leave my heart and, and for it to stay there. I know you want this too. Peter is going to help us to cast our anxiety on God. How? By being promise-focused people. Focusing on the gospel of what Jesus has done and being promise-focused people. So this is the second strategy. Let me read from 1 Peter 4, starting in the middle of verse 5 to verse 11. Peter says, All of you clothe yourselves with humility. Remember, pride, vengeance, and fear are great witness crushers, great hope destroyers. Peter wants us to be humble. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Now mark that. It's a promise. God shows favor to the humble. When we want to cast our anxiety on God, we need his promises. Here's one for you. Look at verse 6, another great promise. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Humble yourselves towards each other, and, and God favors the humble, verse 5. Humble yourselves under God's hand, verse 6, and he will lift you up. That is a promise of God. Write that down and save it. There's two promises in this passage. You want another one. Verse 7, 
Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. A promise. God cares for you. He doesn't leave you. He doesn't leave you alone. He cares for you. Even though our prayers often feel like boomerangs, God is actually receiving them. He's receiving them and he cares. So when we cast our anxiety on him, remember the promise. He cares for you. But there's more. Peter reminds us to be alert and of sober mind. Verse 8 says, Our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That's how we feel all the time, isn't it? We feel in our hearts all the time the crushing weight of fear and of conspiracy and of anxiety. But Peter says, resist him. Resist this roaring lion. Stand firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers through the world is undergoing the same kinds of sufferings. Now, it's amazing that he wrote this to people in the first century in a different situation because that verse sounds like us today. Remember the family of believers in the world suffering like we are. Remember that there's people in Europe and in Africa and South America and in Asia who are suffering right now too. And you're not alone. God cares for them. You believe he cares for them, don't you? He cares for you too. The enemy might be prowling and roaring and trying to devour the people of God, but we resist him. And verse 10, listen to these promises. The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you. That's a promise. God will restore you. You're not abandoned. Life isn't canceled. He's coming for you. He's redeeming you. He will make you strong. That's a promise. You feel weak. You feel afraid. God will make you strong. He will make you firm and steadfast. Those are two more promises To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Oh, can't we say amen to that church? A God of such great promises. So Peter has given us two strategies. The first one is to be people who answer, who witness out of hope. Not out of fear, not out of pride, not out of vengeance. We witness out of hope. Our hope is on the story of Jesus. The second strategy is to give our fear and our anxiety to God. The way we do this is we focus on these great promises. God favors the humble. God will lift you up in due time. God cares for you. He will restore you, make you strong, sure, and steadfast. These are promises, but this takes work. As we end today, I want to share a resource with you. We all have to put in some work to grow in our emotional intelligence, to prepare our hearts to do the cardio so that we can take hold of these promises and this hope and have some miracle grow for our witness. I have an article in front of me that's from a dear friend and mentor, and um, he's also a very accomplished professional person, uh, Gary Oliver. He is a psychologist, he's a theologian, but most of all, uh, he's a man who loves the heart of God. And in my time with Gary, I have learned to work on my heart condition, not just to uh, ignore it, not just to hope it gets better, but to work on it, to focus on promises like these. Uh, Gary recently wrote an article, a blog, for uh, this crisis of the pandemic. And I've got this uh, linked on my Facebook page for you. And it's also on our church website today. If you go to the worship page there with all of our resources, you can find this. It's borrowed uh, with his permission to share with churches and church members to help us. And I want to give just a couple steps that are in this blog that help us to do this cardio work. 
that help us to obey what Peter has said, to be people of hope and of promises. Uh, first, we can take a look. So the first word is look. Take a look at what we've experienced. How have we expressed anxiety in the last few months or in the last few days? What have we been modeling for family members and for friends and for others? Have we been people who are reacting or responding? Reacting from pride, revengeance, or fear, or responding from hope and from gentleness and from sympathy? So first, let's just take a look. The second step is to write. You're going to want some paper and a pen for this. Write out a list of what you have been anxious about. What are the conspiracy theories that you've been seeing on the internet? What are the stats about the virus? What are the economic figures? What is going on in your bank account? What is going on in your home? How is this homeschooling project going for you? Are you just stir crazy at home? Are you and your spouse still sleeping in the same bed? Are you not? What is it that's going on that you're anxious about? Write it down. So look at your anxieties, write down a list. Now, the next thing we're gonna do is we're going to write a second list next to it. We're going to look at our anxieties and we're going to think about some what-ifs. So we're going to write out some what-ifs, uh, such as the distortions and anxieties, uh, exaggerations that we have based on this list. Uh, what if, in other words, these are flat-out lies? What if these are exaggerations? Next to this, we want to write some what-ifs about God's promises. What if His promises are true? What if God really loves you? What difference would this make? What if God will never leave you or forsake you? What if He is present with you even now? What if He will supply all of your needs? What would this do for your heart? How would knowing this help us to respond differently instead of react? Now, this article is provided for you, again, on my Facebook page, and it's on our church resource page today. So I hope that you will look this up and you will look at your anxieties. This sermon and this passage from Peter can do nothing for us if we don't do the cardio work and look at our anxieties and our fears. Write them down. Write what if they're true, and then write out these promises of God, and what if these are more true? What if what God says is the true word? So look at them, write them down, and then ask this question. Ask, <laughs> uh, what if God's promises are true? Read some of these great promises over and over. Pray through verses like these. Pray through verses like Philippians 1.6, Ephesians 3.20 and 21, Proverbs 12.25 verses about God's promises that would help us to look at our anxieties differently. Spend some time to do this cardio work. Spend some time to pray. Use your list of what-ifs and of promises as a resource for your small groups when you get together and have a Zoom call or when you do your next family devotional. Spend a little time and talk about the anxieties on each person's list and the promises of God that, that overcome these anxieties with his hope, with his preservation of you, with his deep resources for you. This takes work, but we are up to it. Don't leave out the cardio. We have a God who has promised that in due time, he will restore us. He will make us strong. He will lift us up. Along with Peter, we can say, amen to him be the power forever and ever. Amen. God bless you, church.
Today, let me pray for you. And then I hope that you will do this work and pray for each other. Father in heaven, thank you for the hope of Jesus. Thank you for the promises that you give. Thank you for resources that we can use to look at and write down and pray through our anxieties, to ask what if your promises are true, to read scriptures about your promises, things that will help move us from fear into faith, scriptures that will move us from pride into humility, scriptures that will move us from vengeance into forgiveness, gentleness, compassion, and sympathy. God, would you do in our hearts this kind of work? Help me to be able to speak to my wife and my child, not out of reacting from negativity, but responding from love, the deep love of your promises. God, help us as a church to bear a good witness, to tell the story of Jesus with miracle grow that comes from hearts that are growing to be like Jesus. We pray that you'll be with us in this. We pray that you would bless us to help make your name famous in our community and in our homes. In the name of Jesus, together we pray and together we say, amen. Thanks, guys.